Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. The topic, Peculiar Mental Twists. Today is Sunday, March 10th, 2013. My name is Leigh. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater, and I'm your moderator this morning. The big book teaches us we have a twofold illness, allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind. The allergy of the body is a bad problem. But we have a problem worse than that. We have a mental problem. We have peculiar mental twists. A strange, peculiar way of thinking about food that is different from normal people. Here to speak with us this morning about those peculiar mental twists is Howard. Howard is a recovered compulsive overeater for 26 years. He resides in Minnesota. He is a loyal servant of Overeaters Anonymous who is dedicated to teaching the program of recovery and working with other compulsive overeaters. And I'm pleased to welcome this morning, Howard. Thank you, Leah. Uh, it's really an honor to be here. Uh, let me know if, if there's any trouble hearing me on the line. Um, and just to kind of say hello, I'm Howard, a compulsive overeater. And through the grace of my higher power, the fellowship of OA and all the people that have helped me so much over the years. I've been abstaining a little over 26 years, actually almost 27 years, and for that I'm very grateful. This is a, um, a really a, a topic that's close to my heart. I've, I, I've had time to reflect. I've had time to look back and say, you know, was, what was it? You know, I mean, when I was immersed in the disease, there was always that question, what, what is the answer? What do I need to figure out here? And so I've had time to look back, and um, and I don't really, I, I don't have a, a, a turning point. I don't have a moment in time where all of a sudden I I cross that line to addiction. Um, I, I do, I can look back and see some patterns here. I can see, you know, where, uh, you know, where I I justified and. Uh, worked for and fought for. And I, I remember a, a story uh, many years ago. I, I worked um, in, a, in a large, pretty large organization. We had um, a lot of social things going on. I was on a bowling league. And uh, I remember one of the members, one of the employees who was a friend of mine had a, a party at, at her home. And she invited all her friends there from work. And so we we went like on a Saturday night on a very beautiful spring day. And it was a potluck and it was just a ton of food. And so uh, I, I was there for dinner. I had um, come to this potluck and I filled up a reasonable looking plate of food and uh, ate with the people there. And I waited um, after people ate, and I, I stayed in the house. Most people kind of drifted out into the yard, into the garden. And, um, and so I went back to the, this huge display, this huge table full of food, and I refilled my, my plate with sweets and desserts and you know, everything that I kind of lived for at that time. And what I did is in this, you know, friend's house who I have never been in before, I start wandering through the house, and I'm looking for um, 
someplace I can eat in isolation, somewhere I can not be found out. So I, I'm kind of walking through the house. I end up uh, seeing a, a room that's actually under construction. There's a plastic doorway over the opening. The door had been removed. The furniture had been covered up with cloths, but there was a few tables in the room, and I pulled up a chair to one of these tables. I sat down at this at this table with my food in front of me, my my sweets in front of me, and I just started eating. And I just was zoned out, and I was eating. And um, I'm probably about halfway through the plate, and I look up, and there's another guy in the room. And in front of this guy were several drinks. He had, you know, I'm not a drinker, but he had a, you know, a couple shot glasses. He had like a highball. He had three or four, maybe even five drinks in front of him. Um, our eyes kind of meet. We say nothing. I, I, you know, don't acknowledge him. I don't say hello. I just go back to my food. I finish eating, and and I'm out of there, and I leave. Um, now, a week later at at work, I, I run into my friend, and I say, hey, you know, I haven't seen you. How are you doing? It was a great party. She says, oh, we've had just a horrible week. We've um, had my, my brother, we had an intervention on my brother. He's had a drinking problem, and um, he he's in treatment now. He's at a, he's in a hospital and he said, he's going to, you know, he's going to try to do this. And I just said, well, that's great. You know, good for him, you know, to take care of this. Now I can look back now and I can see that we were in that room for the same purpose. You know, we were both there to get our fix. You know, he was drinking his alcohol. He was, he was an alcoholic and I'm drinking, I'm eating, the foods that give me an alcoholic reaction. So um, I can look back and see that really clearly, but at the time, I didn't get it at all. My mind just would not allow me to see the correlation between the two of us in that room. Um, and I, you know, this is and this has been of interest to you know, and, and I didn't I didn't think of this uh, story until maybe three years ago. Um, and it kind of is a an affirmation of how powerful the mind is. You know, I mean, I didn't have a problem. This person had a problem. You know, and I and I love this quote in the big book where if we we have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even food, food by this time, for by this time sanity will have returned. This is on page eighty four and eighty five. We will seldom be interested in food. If tempted, we recoil from it as from a hot flame. We react sanely and normally, and we will find that this has happened automatically. We will see that our new attitude toward food has been given us without any thought or effort on our part. It just comes. That is a miracle of it. We are not fighting it, neither are we avoiding temptation. We feel as though we've been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. We have not even sworn off. Instead, the problem has been removed. It does not exist for us. We are neither cocky nor are we afraid. That is how we react, so long as we keep in fit spiritual condition. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually talk about fit spiritual condition in, in a little bit, but um, this, is, this is the promise of the program, which I experience now. Um, but the reality is, if I wake up tomorrow wanting chocolate, I will eat chocolate. I, I have no resistance or fight. I mean, there's, there's just there's nothing 
in me that can fight that. And, and so when I talk about abstaining for 26 years, it's really not hard if I don't want those foods that I used to live for. And, um, and the only explanation I can have for that is that I'm just not the same person anymore. Um, I'm just not the same person. Now, I, I did not grow up uh, being a compulsive overeater. I, I hear stories, uh, or part of people's stories all the time, that they, the, the first time they ate sugar or the first time they ate something, they were totally hooked to it. I, I, I don't really have those memories. I actually remember uh, when I was, I don't know, probably 11 or 12, and, and going out every year with Hall- for Halloween, my sister would take me out, and we'd be, you know, running from house to house, and we'd get a really good collection. And I, later that night when I came back, I would dump the candy on the floor. I would separate it from the good stuff versus the boring stuff. I would eat a couple of the the good things, um, a little couple every day. Um, and then the other things, like the candy corn, that, that I would just put to the side. And usually other people would... would would kind of snack on that. So, I mean, I have that memory growing up. Um, I, I, you know, we, <laughs> the only way I can describe my family is we, we were a quirky family. Um, my, my mom and my sister were collectors, so they were always out and, you know, with dealers or going to antique shows. They used to drag me to these shows when I was a kid. I just hated them. Um, and, and we would have all sorts of interesting people over who would travel all over the country and, you know, with wheel and deal. And so that's kind of, a, you know, some of the interesting things that I grew up with. Um, and, and I remember um, um, watching like a ball game in the, in the TV room uh, and I, my dad came in and, and started to watch with me and he says, oh, you know, uh, are these your nuts? I said, yeah, you can have them if you want. So he says, oh, okay. So he starts eating some nuts on the, on the, uh, the table there, and he said, you know, these are good. Where, where'd you get them? I said, well, I spit them out of the ice cream. Uh, I just, I, I, they just weren't my thing. I just wasn't really into them. So, and he laughed. You know, he was just this great guy. He laughed. So, um, I, you know, I have uh, good memories. Uh, my, my family loved me. I, I was the, the kind of the dysfunctional one. I, I, you know, I grew into kind of an angry teenager. It seems to be. You know, that was the era, uh, rebellious, and probably it still is. But, um, you know, and I, I was, you know, I, I would always, you know, shift the burden, you know, shift the blame. You know, I wasn't asked to be born, and, you know, it's not fair. You're not the boss of me. I, you know, this vacation sucks. I mean, I just was kind of an annoying, angry teenager. But, you know, I got what I wanted. I, I could, you know, make them feel bad, and I, it gave me power. So I kind of learned this idea of, of manipulation and imbalance in relationships, you know, where I, I, I strive to have, you know, more power than the other one in the relationship. I've also definitely experienced where I have less power, you know, in the relationship either, you know, with friends, uh, loved ones, or, or family, that kind of thing. And so I kind of got this sense that my sister went to, was in college, she's quite a bit older, and, you know, she would always, you know, I kind of learned this psychology. She was taking psychology, and so you know, this reverse psychology and all these, you know, so I kind of like, you know, she was experimenting with me, but I also kind of picked this up. And so I, I, I kind of, you know, grew up in an interesting 
um, you know, interesting household. I, I did not get into food until a little, you know, until my into my teens. Um, when I, I remember uh, a group of my friends, we would sneak off after school or, or during lunchtime. We would go off campus, uh, break the rules, go off campus to the to a little grocery store a couple blocks away, and I would spend my money on junk food. And so this is, you know, we we all went out and did this, and um, and I don't know if it. If I if this caused me to sensitized to to sugar, um, and, uh, and which led to other problems, but that was kind of that. That's where things kind of started off. Um, and as I um, as I you know advanced in my teens, and I actually started working um, a regular job in my teens, and I found that uh, as I was on this job, um, I started you know, doing that kind of going out to the store and buying a lot of junk food and, uh, and, and binging, you know, I started, I started binging on a regular basis. So, um, and, and it progressed very quickly. Um, it, it progressed very quickly. Um, you know, just, just to kind of talk about the power of the mind. I, um, when I was 17, um, or 18, I was 17. I was actually um, still at home, and I was starting, you know, just starting my eating career. And I remember sitting at the dining room table. We had a TV in front of the table. I was watching um, something with my mom, and I I said to her, um, I kind of looked at her. I said, God, do you remember um, when I was really young? Um, I caused an accident in the car. I said, remember when I was in my my car seat, and I was really acting up, and you said, um, and I, I and you just said, you know, just sit still. We'll be there in a little bit. Don't you know? Don't get out of your seat. Um, you know, you know, just quiet down a little bit. And I I remember getting out of my seat and um, kind of jumping around on the front seat, and my mom got distracted and she got in an accident, and I. I remember, you know, being in the car, you know, with the police all around, and, and it was raining, and um, and just just this kind of terrible situation. And I kind of said, do you remember when that happened? You know, when I was, you know, in the car, and I and I, and I caused that accident. And she, you know, looked at me, and she said, you know, that that never happened. Well, that never happened. That you must have been dreaming or something. And um, and I looked into her eyes, and she and she, you know, and she was telling the truth. And I. Yet it was so real to me, and and I I couldn't explain it. But it it just you know I look back at that, and I I mean if my mom if we didn't have that conversation, or you know God forbid if my mom had passed away early, I would have I would still have that memory today. And and I don't know where it came from. It it, it may have been a dream, um, but but I I mean I can look back and see the power of the mind, you know. And so now. As I start getting, I start eating, and my eating, and my binging starts to accelerate. Um, I, I see, you know, I can look back and see this mind um, really playing into this. I mean, definitely, the big book talks about a mental, the physical allergy, the mental obsession, uh, and I, I definitely can can see this mental process in place. Um, and, and how sensitized my mind, how, how I became so sensitized to things, 
because of my mind. I remember, and, and I usually you know, say this at a meeting or, or show this at a meeting, but I remember walking down the street, um, one of the main streets here. I'm walking down the street. A guy walks by me, and he kind of looks at me and walks by, and it's like, and all of a sudden it just struck me. It's like, and I stop, and I, and I'm thinking, God, well, what, what did that guy look? Why did he look at me like that? I'm looking back. He's he's walking along. I said, God, did he give me a look? What's it? What's his problem? I mean, what what's going on? I, God, what a prick! I, you know something? I I bet he's uh, you know, I bet he thinks he's better than me. You know, I mean, he's he's like taller than me. I bet he's like really thinks he's cool. You know, and that's that's like a real problem. You know, I, I being short just really sucks. You know, and I I um, God, if I was taller, I would. Everything would be better. I'd have a better job. I'd be happier. I'd have all the women that I wanted. Just, and all of a sudden, it's like I feel terrible, and I want to eat. You know, I, I mean, I just, my, I, I create situations out of nothing. I mean, here's this a guy walked by me. You know, I mean, what do I know what he's thinking? You know, but I mean, this is, you know, people say they eat emotionally. Well, yeah, I guess, I guess I was emotionally upset, but you know. It can be real or imagined, you know, and I look at this behavior, it's like I, I can have the same kind of emotional trigger uh, at, a, at a social event, definitely going to my family for holiday celebrations, uh, work events, um, all, you know, I, I can trip myself up. I trip myself up and I, I all of a sudden, and, and I associate, of course, these, this great upset, this emotional upheaval with a justification to eat. Well, you know, I really deserve it. I need this. And and that is really the essence of my addiction because when I take that first bite, I get this wave, this warm feeling. I get this ah uh, feeling. I can just, I can feel it. I can imagine it. It's just a release. It's a relief from that angry, berating voice in my mind. Um, that angry, resentful voice in my mind, and I have peace just for a moment. I mean, this is the only way I know how to get, how to escape from that, how to escape from this mind of mine that will not stop. It drives me absolutely to the brink. It has driven me through a blizzard in a Minnesota winter to go out to the store. It's driven me in the middle of the night to go to, the all-night grocery store is driven me to go back again and again, and I can't stop it. And I am in a cycle of, of this mental process, this obsession that drives me to the food, and I can't stop myself. So, and all of a sudden, and, and it starts in my late teens where I am now working a real job with real adults, with real responsibilities, and I start overeating on a regular basis. Um, I lived in a small one-bedroom apartment. Um, I lived there a long time. I had the same green shag carpeting that, that was there from, I don't know, probably the 70s or you know, whenever it was built. I, I lived um, in this room where um, I had a sofa that um, I got from my, my mom that uh, was 
lower to the floor on one end than the other. I had a, um, I, I watched TV. I ate. I had the first VCR that I that I think anybody had that had a remote control with a wire attached to it to the main unit, uh, and I would record and watch TV and would eat, and uh, you know at night with the drapes drawn, and this was my my life, you know, and I. Um, descended into addiction, and I, I remember um, that, you know, people would, would call, and I would not answer the phone. People would, uh, you know, invite me places at work, and I would, uh, I would make an excuse. I um, would, you know, call my parents and yell at my parents at what a terrible job they did, in raising me because, you know, going, you know, now I can look back and I had a, I had a good childhood. I had a pretty good, the more I'm in recovery, the better my childhood looks. But, you know, I was always this angry teenager into my late teens and into my 20s. I was angry at everyone. There was nothing wrong with me. Um, it was all about them. And, you know, as long as I'm trapped in this cycle and I'm looking outwardly for a solution, um, I, I could not get out of this. I remember, you know, knowing, you know, I, I kind of thought food was an issue. So I would, like, I would write to, um, eventually I got to writing to um, these ads in the back of magazines for, you know, cures. And, and then I started reading about nutrition. And, um, and I, I kind of thought that there was some problem with my um, with my biochemistry that causes me to eat sweets. And if I, if I figured out this problem, I would not crave sweets anymore. I would not have this uh, ferocious appetite. And, I, I, um, and, and so I, it, was, it was like a problem to be resolved. It was a problem to be figured out. I'm intellectual and analytical, that is kind of the nature. Now, I'm not saying I'm smart. I'm just saying I'm intellectual and analytical, and that was my drive to figure this out. I would, you know, I, I will, will go to the, these doctors, and I will uh, I'll go to doctors. I'll send away for things. I'll figure this out, and, I, and doctors were, were agreed with me. They, they said, well, yeah, maybe there is something that's, that's going on there. We can run some expensive tests, and we can sell you some expensive supplements, and you know, as long as I had money, they, they, you know, they would treat me. And, and of course, since I, I had no, um, I wasn't honest with them about what was really going on. I, you know, they kept treating me and I kept doing this. And so I, I kind of got stuck in this life. You know, I got stuck in this house. I got in this apartment. I got stuck in this, in a job that I never intended to keep for very long. I was going to, you know, I wanted to get out of the house. I wanted to get on my own before I went to college. Um, and I ended up being at this job for six years. And I never, you know, I, I, I just was like in the same cycle of eating and surviving. I would get up in the morning. Um, and as, as Leah knows, I am not a morning person. I was not a morning person back then. Um, I, I would, you know, fight to get up. Um, I would, I would, you know, rush for work. I, and, and every day it was, a, it was just a, a, a battle to get there. It was a battle to get through the day. I remember going out with people 
for the morning snack, and that was kind of my first meal. And I, you know, I'd have a roll or something like that. Um, and and pretty soon I'm in this cycle where I'm eating lightly during the day, and I'm saving. It's like this is my plan. I'm saving up, you know, the room and the the calories, I guess, for the night, my nighttime eating. And I would go out late. I would, um, uh, you know, drive to the all night store again. And and this, so this is like my pattern, and this is my pattern for years. And I had, you know, very little life in there. I mean, I I look back, and I I'm able to kind of remember some events along the way, but it's really a blur because I am so deep in this, in the mire of this. And as I kind of descend into this addiction, you know, as the food gets worse, my thinking gets worse, and there's more anger and more blame. You know, and my dad later on said, you know, I was really worried about your anger. I, I just was frightened what could, you know, what could come of, you know, what what could happen with this, you know, this anger that you had. And so, you know, I was getting angrier, getting more uh, disturbed in my thinking, you know, and, and as, as you know, I kind of kept descending, you know, some of the thinking just got so blurry. I mean, there really didn't even need to be anything to trip me up. I didn't need that guy walking by me anymore. It was just so habituated. I, I just kind of shifted into this eating mode, you know. I mean, just I was just so disturbed and upset all the time um, that I, I, there was no cause and effect anymore. I would just, you know, at, you know, at any time I could eat. I was always thinking of food. I always wanted something. I was always hungry. I mean, I remember going to a really nice meal with a friend. You know, we had dessert. And, and, he, and, and afterward, I said, well, yeah, maybe we can stop somewhere later, you know, and get, get a little bit more. And he and he said, boy, it's really odd that we just had this really great meal and you still want to eat. And, then, and you know, another one of these moments in time that, that I look back, that, that kind of was frozen. But at the time, of course, my mind did not allow me to do this. You know, my mind was so disturbed with, you know, being angry and the self-talk, this, this inner voice that I could not stop, this inner angry the littling voice inside me that I could not stop. And, you know, this is the mind of an addict, you know, and, and even, even abstaining doesn't stop it. Um, even abstaining doesn't stop it, you know. So I, I kind of go through this, you know, for years, and all of a sudden um, I get out of that job. I, I kind of try some different jobs, and I, um, but I'm still in the same pattern of eating, and I remember sitting on that same sofa, this is, you know, you know, I'm, I'm probably 21, 22. I'm in my 20s, and I'm, I'm sitting on that same sofa, and I remember this situation where I'd gone out at the middle of the night. I bought a huge amount of things. I'm eating it on the way home. I, I'm watching TV, and I'm sitting there afterward, and I've got all these wrappers around me. And, you know, I even look down, and the floor is, is you know dirtier around my feet than it is anywhere else, and I just cry. I just sit there and I say, God, I I can't stop this. I don't. This is going to kill me. I mean, I really was having severe stomach problems at this time, um, going to doctor to, from doctor to doctor, um, and now this is no longer just you know I um, 
I, I, you know, I have a little problem with sugar. It is starting to affect, you know, my whole life. I'm not able to sit still. Um, I, I had a desk job and I couldn't, I had like these ants in my pants. I could not sit still. I was like, you know, I would, I would like work and I'd actually start working standing up. I, uh, and I have having stomach problems. I'm eating beyond the capacity of my stomach. I mean, I had, I was having like diarrhea for, you know, weeks at a time. I mean, it was just, and it started to just be continuous. I, I, you know, I, I've never been overweight. I just would eat so beyond my capacity that my body was just not able to absorb the food. I would also um, exercise excessively. I remember running um, before it was called jogging. You know, I was just I just went out and ran, and I would run with books and a backpack and weights on my arms. And I, you know, I this is how you know. So I went through this over eating and over exercising this um, feasting and famine, you know, kind of thing where I would, I would overeat. I would, I would then, um, uh, I don't call it starving myself, but I would then uh, fast, you know, because, of course, fasting is spiritual. If you starve yourself, it's, there's something really wrong with, your, with you. So I, um, I just, and I was in this so deep, I, I could not get out. And I'm, and I'm sitting on the, sofa and and I'm just saying you know I this is going to kill me I it was kind of like a moment of of giving up it was kind of a moment where I had this insight that uh, there's nothing I can do to stop this there's nothing within my human power that can stop this and it was going to kill me and it was one of those defining moments that um, I kind of gave up and it seems that with that surrender, with that defeat, um, with that acknowledgement, the doors started to open a little bit. Um, and I started to, to see and look for different, a diff, you know, a different avenue, um, a, a different direction than where I was. I, I went to, um, uh, I, I worked at a grocery store at that time, and I, there was a woman there that, um, had lost a lot of weight, and I, I don't really know why I asked her. I said, "Well, how did you lose your weight?" She says, "Well, I go to Overeaters Anonymous." I said, "Well, what, what's that?" She said, "Well, it's like AA," and, and I said, "Okay." And she said, I, "I could not, I could not have done this without the steps. You know, I could not have done this without working the steps." I said, "Okay, yeah, that, that's good. I mean, I've heard of the steps. I mean, I had, I had a buddy who was an AA, um, so so that." That was okay, but you know, I I didn't know what she was really talking about. But you know, it, it, the the seeds started to get planted here, and I I went from that grocery job, and I um, I then worked at a job um, kind of like a sales guy, and um, and it was a job where there was a really high turnover, and there was a, a person working there that I kind of got to be friends with, and um, and she ended and she quit that job. And when she left, I, I walked over to her empty desk, and there was a book in, in her like little in her rack there, her in her inbox, and it was a a book on that someone had written. Um, it was a commercial book, but it was written by someone in the name I can't remember the name. It was like Helen R. And it was a a, a commercial book about someone's story about compulsive eating, and um, and she had left it there for me, and I I. 
I thought, well, this is too bad. I, I um, it's too bad she she forgot this. But I, you know, I, I remember that Overeaters Anonymous that that person mentioned in the grocery store. So I took the book and I read the book, and it was a, a really detailed story of someone's uh, history of of compulsive eating and finding recovery in OA. And so I, I read this book, and it, you know, I started to resonate with it. And um, and a couple weeks later, I was um, in the phone book, looking in the phone book for a business, um, or, or no, a name. It was a name. This is when the businesses and the residency were mixed together. And I, um, I was looking up someone's name. I guess their name was Overton or something like that. And right next to their listing was Overeaters Anonymous. So I finally called them. And... Um, and I just, I just, I get an answering machine, and I figure, well, you know, who's going to call me back now? You know, I probably won't hear back from them. But shortly after that, um, someone did call, um, and I just said, you know, I, I just found your name and number, and she, and this person was like just really nice, and she said, well, and she started telling me about why she's volunteering in an office away from home, answering the phone, and, um, and I. I said, well, you know, I I maybe could could use this. You know, maybe I could I could you know try this because I, I was just trying anything at that time. I mean, this was like on my list of things to check out. I mean, Overeaters Anonymous, and then I, I don't know what would be next, um, uh, acupuncture or or something. I just you know was always looking, always trying to find. You know, still still having that. You know, I had that really you know, that deflation, but I still wanted to find the answer on my own. I still wanted to, to, to fix this. You know, all I have to do is try harder. You know, that's just, that's got to be the answer. So I, um, I, I, you know, she gives me a, a, a meeting, um, and, and, I, and fortunately it was like a mile from my home at that time. And so I, um, I go to this meeting, um, and and boy, it it was not easy walking in. I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to ask for help. I actually thought it was kind of my philosophy of life: you don't ask for help, um, you don't show weakness. Um, you know, I tried to be the tough guy. I I just to walk into a room of of um, of people I didn't know. Um, fortunately, there was a guy there, which was a really good fortune. But um, but I and and people were struggling in this meeting. Um, there was one person that had really a, a very well defined abstinence. Abstinence. The, the lead, the person that started the meeting was still there, and she she had a great program. But you know, everyone else was kind of struggling. But you know, they started reading the readings. You know, a vision for you and. Uh, how it works, and I, I'm and I'm hearing something that um, I'm starting to relate to, and it talks about the disease of compulsive overeating. You know where, and that that just was comforting, but very foreign because I, of course, I thought I just lacked willpower. You know, now I, you know, I can. Um, I've never been a drinker. Um, I, I I've never been drunk. I can. Um, 
you know, I would, I haven't had a drink for years and years, but I mean, I would have a glass of wine with a meal, you know, and I would have a couple sips and it would taste good. And I, I would, you know, have a couple more and I started getting a little kind of queasy feeling and I'd have another one or two and I would stop, you know. So here they're talking about, um, in reading from the, the you know, the, the AA materials, and I'm not, I'm kind of relating, but I'm not, but I, didn't, I do relate to this disease concept where I, where I, I really can't control this. Um, and I do, you know, and I, I, I'm, st- I'm not quite, I know I have a problem with food, um, and I certainly have a different reaction than I do with alcohol. I mean, I, ca- I can look back now and, and see that I have a completely normal reaction to alcohol, but I, I get that alcoholic reaction for food, with food. And so I, I can kind of see this, this uh, contrast between the different, between, between someone who could eat. I, I, so I can understand how someone can eat, you know, the foods that I would eat and go crazy, and they can just put it down. You know, I can see where they could have the same reaction that I used to have with alcohol. They have it with food. They, don't, they haven't crossed the line you know, you know, so I can look back and say, yeah, okay, there's a distinction. But, but here I'm, I'm hearing a lot of um, readings from the big book, some of which I'm not, I'm not relating to, but, but some, of, you know, some of it I'm, I'm, you know, I am understanding. So I go to this meeting, and um, I, I commence my, my at least the one year of, you know, research. You know, I'm, I'm kind of like, you know, I go to OA here and there, I go to the doctor here and there, I try this supplement here and there, I, I go back to OA, and so I'm kind of dabbling. I'm dabbling in OA. I come late to the meetings, I leave early. This one woman took me to a meeting on the other side of town on Saturday morning, which is almost as bad as Sunday morning, and I'm at these meetings where uh, I don't want to be there in the meeting, but she said, you know, this is a really strong meeting. And I go to this meeting, and it was really, it was a really strong meeting. And people are sitting around a table, and they're acknowledging their length of abstinence in their introductions. They're talking really honestly, so honestly that I'm embarrassed. Um, so I'm at this meeting, and I'm just sitting there and um, and hearing. Um, a level of recovery that I, uh, and a level of the program that I have never experienced before, never heard before, and I, I, I would go, I'd go back for, you know, I go back, I went back, I'd go a little bit, I'd, I'd go back to my main meeting near my home, I'd go back to the Saturday morning meeting. Um, the, the actual history is that the, the Saturday morning meeting was started by uh, a number of women who met in, in AA that were cross addicted. And they wanted to, they wanted an OA meeting that had the same focus and the same strength as they found in their in their AA meetings. So they, you know, they got abstinent. They talked to each other. They were inseparable. They did service. They, you know, so they they just were really working a really strong program. They, um, and then I was like sitting there and I was trying to understand this and I'm I'm hearing a program at a different level and I'm resisting it and I'm still not ready I still don't really want this I still want to be able to do this on my own I really don't need anybody 
You know, that, that is not my nature. I, it is not my nature to ask for help. Um, and so I, I end up going to treatment uh, during this year. I go to a treatment that is a commercial um, program. It's in Minneapolis. It's, um, it deals with just compulsivity. So uh, there were other people with issues with food. There were alcoholics. There were you know, codependents. There were drug addicts. I mean, there was just a, a mix of people. It was like a four or five day thing. I mean, I thought. I mean, it was it was good. I I but I I did not walk out of there, um, changed at all. I didn't, didn't I did not walk out of there um, any different. I mean, there may have been some things that were said that that uh, there were things that were said that I identified with, but it wasn't enough. I mean, it was. I, I kind of felt that if I, you know, spent the money, it would help me, and it it really. It really didn't. So I'm back in the same cycle. And then someone in the group mentions that there's a weekend retreat um, in Duluth, which is a small town here in Minnesota. So I, I, I agree to go. It was like, you know, $40 for the weekend. Um, and it's in this uh, old firehouse, abandoned firehouse uh you know, you could see the stalls in the garage there where they had the fire engines, the walls were cracked. Um, uh, they had a pool with no water in it. Um, and, and so I, and I went to this, and, and, and something changed in me. Um, the, the, and, I, and I have found this at other of these weekend kind of things. There was something that that changed in me. I, I find that the, the resistance had gone down in, in me to this, and I, I just became more open to this. My heart just kind of opened up to this a little bit more. Um, and, I, and I find this when, I, when we have our convention here. Or I go to these intense recovery events. I walk out a little less resistant. I walk out a little bit more open to push my program a little bit further. I remember um, going to a World Service um, convention years ago in Baltimore, and I was kind of struggling at that time with diet, uh, diet pop. I mean, I just, um, I, I, I was just wanting it too much, um, and I really was, you know, talking to my sponsor. I want to, I want to give this up. I want to, I want to change this, and and I, you know, was really struggled with it. And I went to this weekend event. And and since that time, I just you know I just have not want I haven't had it. I just and I and it wasn't any kind of you know uh, conscious thing. I just I just didn't want it anymore. So anyway, I go to this for my first weekend um, event, and something just changes in me. And um, and I asked someone to be a sponsor. And actually, I, I had another experience like this. I went to the convention here in town. This was a few months earlier, and every year we have a big convention. We've had it for decades. And so, you know, people were saying, hey, you got to go to the convention. And I said, well, why, why would I go? I, you know, and I was struggling. I mean, this actually was my first event. I was struggling. And um, and they kept saying, people kept saying, they handed out flyers, and, and you know, you got to go, and, you know, it, it's just, everybody's going to be there, and I... I say, okay, so I, I go to this convention at a hotel in town here, and there are 500 people there. I mean, it was 
huge. And at this time, OA was really big. I mean, there were big meetings all over. And I, I go to this meeting with 500 people. There's very few men there, and I am just out of my mind. I mean, I just I don't feel in place. I don't want to really belong here. I don't like it here. And I, but you know, I I paid my money, and so I I am kind of cheap. So I figure, well, I I might as well hang out for a while. And I, I went to some workshops, I went to some workshops, I went to other workshops, I just, it's a blur, it's just a blur. And I remember, and I was in this one workshop um, where these two women were doing this workshop, and I can't remember the title, but one woman uh, talks, gives her, you know, kind of tells her story, um, and she's she's saying that she's lost over like 226 pounds in the program, you know, and she even was, you know, ate through her uh, bypass operation. And, and so, and then, and then this other person, a younger person comes, comes up and she tells us, you know, a similar story where she's lost like 150 pounds. And it's like, you know, and she tells her story and then, um, and then right, right after the, the second person talks, you know, the, she says, oh, and this is my mom. So it was like a mother-daughter thing, and people are applauding and, you know, crying and, you know, hugging each other. And it's like, and I'm in the middle of this room with 120 people. We're, you know, standing room only, just packed together, and I can't escape. And, I'll, and I'm just thinking, boy, these women were really big. And, um, uh, and of course, at that time, I hadn't gone through this, you know, OA feminist, you know, politically correct, you know, wash and spin dry kind of thing. Yeah, so I mean, I'm thinking, wow, this is, this is kind of strange. But, um, but then this, this older woman gets up, and she's telling, kind of finishing up, and she says, you know, we come in all shapes and sizes in this fellowship. And, and all of a sudden, it's like, wow. You know, all of a sudden, I am right there, and I'm saying, that's me. You know, I'm I'm one of these other shapes and sizes, you know, and so um, I walk away with less resistance. I'm not there yet. I'm not ready. But but after then the second retreat, I asked this person coming home from the retreat to be my sponsor, and um, and that was a big that was like the biggest step probably in my life to just ask for help to say, will you be my sponsor, and I didn't even know what that really meant. And so um, she said, you know, just call me. You know, she, she was really a neat person. Uh, she spoke a lot. She spoke well in the meetings. She seemed really, um, I don't know, safe or something. But um, I, I just asked her, and, I, and she said, call me. And I, so I called her. And, um, and so I... I um, I called her up. I said, um, I, "I don't. Uh, what, what do I do? You know. I mean, I, I'm. You know, I, I, I said, I, I said, I'm. I'm. Uh, you know, was on this this carrot juice kick. I was. I was drinking a couple quarts of carrot juice every day. I was growing sprouts in my house. I, I had this this thing. Uh, I was into this thing where if I, I ate raw food." you know, this living food, um, I would, everything would be fine. And, you know, that would be the answer to everything. I'd be super healthy and happy and spiritual and all that. And, and I said, you know, I'm, I'm, 
you know, drinking all this carrot juice, and and um, I, I just feel terrible. You know, I just I feel terrible, and I'm, I'm turning orange. I, my my pads on my hands were orange, and my feet were orange. And so she said, well, you know, if what you're doing isn't working, change. And I I said, um, um, and that was like just kind of struck me. I you know I I looked, you know, I mean that kind of hit me at my core. I mean that kind of started to change my thinking. You know, it just started, you know, when I talk about earlier that I'm not the same person, you know, this kind of direct talk jarred me enough to say, well, you're right. It isn't working, you know, because I'm also eating these, these you know, fruit juice sweetened cookies. I've been, you know, trying to not eat, you know, all the, all the, candies and the cookies and you know so they don't have, they don't have sugar but I'm binging on these cookies and she said well you know um she didn't she didn't tell me it was wrong she didn't tell me it was bad she just said you know that wouldn't work for me and uh, I said you know it's not working for me either and so I said well you know what do I do I mean I I don't even eat I never eat breakfast I mean I just you know eat at night that's my pattern and she said well you know what I do is that I I call my sponsor every day and I commit my food and you know so I I plan my food the next day so I don't have to um, think about it you know when I'm hungry I just know what I'm going to eat and and it just helps me to to tell another person and I said okay okay and I said well what do you eat I, I don't I had no idea I said what do you eat what do you eat for breakfast and so she gave me her plan and so I just um I started calling her, you know, I just started calling her, you know, and, um, and this is kind of like how my mind, how, how my thinking started to shift a little bit, you know, it's, it, you know, I'm starting, I, you know, I have this kind of mentality and thought process that I, I only see my life going in one direction, you know, I, I, I see things have to work out this way and there's no variation and so now i'm i'm in a way and i can now look back even in that year i'm hearing stories of people who are working the program who are being successful who are getting out of relationships getting in relationships changing jobs changing life situation i remember this one work woman was talking about getting divorced and she left this bad marriage with nothing and she you know, really had no skills. She was like an artist, and all of a sudden, well, I mean, that's quite a skill, but she, you know, she, you know, really didn't have a job, and so, and then all of a sudden, you know, she's talking again a, a couple months later, and she's, you know, making a living with her art. She's, you know, moved on. She's on her own, and it's like, and I'm seeing people starting to make changes. I'm seeing people taking responsibility and making, you know, being abstinent and working the program and, and making good decisions in their life. So, you know, and they start, they start talking, and I remember people talking about, you know, when they explain things, what's my part in this? You know, I'm in a, a bad relationship, I'm in a bad situation, what's my part? And so, it actually, I start asking this of myself, too. I start thinking, well, what's my part? I'm, I'm angry at my parents, but, you know, I, they really are not doing anything. You know, I mean, I, I'm not... Um, 
I'm not the way I, I am because of this, the decisions I've made. I, I didn't have this kind of clarity. But, but I, you know, I, I'm, I'm seeing that, you know, I did something that, you know, that bothered them. They, re, you know, they got upset, and then I got upset again. So, I mean, I'm starting to – my mind is just shifting in this really kind of crude way, but it's starting to shift. And I'm still in the food, but it's starting to shift. And I'm start, I start asking myself about my part. And so here I'm asking this sponsor – what do you eat? You know, what, what's your program? You know, what, uh, how do I do this? You said, call me every day, commit your food, and, and you just take it a day at a time. You know, it, you just focus on doing this just for today. And I said, you know, okay, I'll do this just for today, you know. And, and so that's where I started. I started my recovery um, with this sponsor and a day at a time, I'm abstaining. And then she tells me, she says, you know, um, I would read the big book every day. You know, you know, what I do is that when I eat dinner, I read the big book. I sit down and I read the big book during my dinner. And I said, well, you know, I, I've never been drunk. I've, I've, you know, alcohol has never been my thing. And she says, well, just, you know, because, of course, I still was like this kind of arrogant and, you know, self-centered person, but she said, look, just change the word, you know, put in food for alcohol and compulsive overeater for alcoholic and just see what happens. Just try it. And so I try it. You know, I do. I sit down and I'm reading the big book and, um, and I'm seeing where, and I'm, I'm starting to identify. I'm starting to identify to this, this, this book, you know, which now I I just love, and I, I just cannot get enough of the big book. This is how it started. She's just, I just started by reading a little bit, a couple pages, during my dinner, and I, it started to really change my life. You know, I see where people are substance abusers. I see, I, I'm identifying with this substance abuse where you can start and you can't stop. So... I'm I'm doing this. I'm going to this meeting, and I'm starting to say I've got a week of abstinence. I've got two weeks. I've got a month. I've got two months of abstinence. And I um and I, I remember calling her, and you know, uh, one time, you know, saying, hey, you know, I need to have surgery, and I'm, you know, what do I do? And she gave me some suggestions, and she said, talk to this person who's had surgery. And so I had surgery, and I did it abstinently. Um, and then it's like I call her once and I say, yeah, you know, my parents aren't getting along and my sister's back in the hospital for her mental illness. And, um, you know, I'm in between jobs. And she said, uh, you know, how's the food? I said, well, the food's fine. You know, I'm still abstinent. And she was actually surprised. I said, no, I'm still abstinent. You know, and so all of a sudden I'm like, I'm having little successes. I'm having these little successes where I'm, you know, going to holiday celebrations and I'm eating abstinently. I'm going to, I'm having challenges in my life. Um, I'm, I'm changing jobs. I'm moving I, and I'm doing it. You know, I'm going to parties. I'm being abstinent. And I'm, and, and I'm having these little successes where before in the food it was one failure after another. And that's all that I can, I can identify with. I have one failure after another. Um, so I, I, I want to I kind of turn to the big book here 
and um, and there's a story um, that I've always loved, and and it has gotten just more and more meaningful to me. And it talks about, and I want to get back to this, this these peculiar men, peculiar mental twists. Um, and I, I just love this story. And I mentioned earlier about fit spiritual condition. The real promise in this program is that I, for me, I do not want the things that I used to live for. And it talks about fit spiritual condition. And there's a story about Jim. It starts on page 35 of the big book. And, and I love this story. And this is, this is about a guy that ends up having an ounce of whiskey in his, in his milk at a, at a meal and it doesn't go well. Um, and, and he's someone that actually has been institutionalized several times for alcoholism. And I, I'm just going to read this and, and kind of walk through it. So he, Jim is kind of being described. Our, our first example is a friend we shall call Jim. This man has a charming wife and family. I love how they talked back then, back then. He inherited a lucrative automotive, automobile agency. He had a commendable World War record. He's a good salesman. Everybody likes him. He's an intelligent man, normal so far as we can see, except for a nervous, nervous disposition. He did no drinking in he, until he was 35. In a few years, he became so violent when intoxicated that he had to be committed. On leaving the asylum, he came into contact with us. We told him what we knew of alcoholism and the answer we found. He made a beginning. His family was reassembled, and he began to work as a salesman for the business he had lost through drinking. All went, for, all went well for a while, but he failed to enlarge his spiritual life. Okay, so they're, they're saying he failed to enlarge his spiritual life, and so I think, I think this is an explanation. Um, and, and so here's, here's someone that is actually has met the early AA people. I don't, I'm not quite sure of the date of this, but he's met the early AA people. He's, the, the program's been described, the physical allergy, the mental obsession, the day at a time. Okay, so, but he's back. He's back. He was, you know, on each of these occasions we worked with him, reviewing carefully what had happened. He agreed he was a real alcoholic and in serious condition. He knew he faced another trip to the asylum if he kept on. Moreover, he would lose his family for, for whom he had a deep affection. Yet he got drunk again. Um, we asked him to tell us exactly what, how it happened. And this is his story. So he's now describing what happens. I came to work on Tuesday morning. Now, I don't know what happened on Monday, but I, I can relate. I mean, if you're troubled, Mondays are really hard. But I came to work on Tuesday morning. I remember I felt irritated that I had to be a salesman for a concern I once owned. I had a few words with the brass, but nothing serious. Then I decided to drive to the country and see one of my prospects for a car. So um, here's how I see this. You know, I, I know exactly, and this is, of course, this is my opinion, my perspective, you know, my, you know, what this means to me, I know exactly what he's thinking. He walks into this dealership, and this angry, resentful mind is going, and he thinks to himself, God, I used to own this place. You know, I used to own this business. I lost a multi-generational family business. I'm never going to live this down. I am the laughing stop, laughing stock of my family. I'm going to be just a sales guy for the rest of my life. And you know that idiot in the, in the front office? I hired him. I taught him the business, and now he's giving me orders. And you know something? If my family hadn't kept, didn't keep committing me, everything would be fine. I'd be just fine. 
you know, and so he goes on with his day. You know, he 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 goes into a um, an establishment um, that he's been to many times with a bar. Uh, on the way, I felt hungry, so I stopped at a roadside place where they have a bar. I had no intention of drinking. I just thought I would get a sandwich. I also had the notion that I might find a customer for a car at this place, which was familiar for I had been going to it for years. I had been there many times during the months I was sober. I sat down at the table and ordered a sandwich and a glass of milk. Still no thought of drinking. I ordered another sandwich and decided to have another glass of milk. Suddenly the thought crossed my mind that if I were to put an ounce of whiskey in my milk, it couldn't hurt me on a full stomach. So this peculiar twist of thinking, but you know something, I, I, know, I know this guy. I know what he's been thinking the last several hours. I know what's been eating at him. And all of a sudden, it's like an ounce of this whiskey isn't going to hurt me. You know, it's like that. It's like me walking down the street and seeing that guy. You know, I I need this, and you know, and of course he's thinking, you know, something. If you had my problems, you'd drink too, or you'd eat too. And so he's back to the races. He's back into um, into the asylum again. Um, so I mean, this this mental process. You know, am I sabotaging myself? No. This is all I know. This is the only way I know to deal with a serious addiction, to deal with something that is so out of my control and the cravings and the drive is beyond anything else in my life that unless I can somehow justify it, say I need this, I want this, I, I deserve it, um, I, I feel terrible, um, I, unless I can somehow justify it, I would just drive off a cliff. I mean, I, I could not live with this addiction without some kind of, of explanation, and so I, I somehow I try to survive. I try to get from one day to the next with the cycle of thinking and eating, or in Jim's case, thinking and drinking. And so, um, uh, and it goes on. Um, this started one more journey to the asylum for Jim. Here was a threat of commitment, the loss of family and position to say nothing of that intense mental and physical suffering which drinking always or eating always caused him, or me. He had much knowledge about himself as an alcoholic, yet all reasons for not drinking were easily pushed aside in favor of the foolish idea that he could take whiskey if only he mixed it with milk. What the precise definition of this word may be, we call this plain insanity. How can such a lack of proportion of the ability to think straight be called anything else? You might think this an extreme case. To us, it is not far-fetched. For this kind of thinking has been characteristic of every single one of us. We have sometimes reflected more than Jib did upon the consequences, but there was always a curious mental phenomenon that parallel with our sound reasoning there inevitably ran some insanely trivial excuse for taking that first drink or that first bite. Our sound reasoning failed to hold us in check. The insane idea won out. Um, in some circumstances, we've gone out deliberately to get drunk, feeling ourselves justified for nervousness, as Jim had, had mentioned earlier, in the, as they had described Jim earlier, he had a nervous disposition, he was angry, he was angry, worried, depression, jealousy, or the like. But even this beginning, we are obliged to admit that our justification for a spree was insanely insufficient in the light of what always happened. We now see that when we began to drink it deliberately instead or casually, instead or casually there was little serious or effective thought during the period of premeditation of what the terrific or horrible consequences might be. You know, so I, 
I can't solve this with my mind. I can't work this out. Um, so I, I, I just, this is the, the cycle, and I relate to this. I, I definitely relate to this about um, the, the consequences and the, the twist of thinking um, that you know, pushed me into the food. What was the only answer? Until I, until I started working the steps, um, the only way for me to clear my mind, it was the only way for me to have some peace and, and quiet in my life um, and to escape this mind, this, this justifying, angry voice in my head. Again, it just, it's about this, this cycle of eating and, and thinking. And I do believe that my mind controls my emotions. I mean, in the big book, it's very careful. It talks about a mental obsession, a physical allergy. It doesn't, amend, it, it doesn't talk about an emotional it doesn't talk about an emotional problem. One of the only references in the, the other references in the, in the big book is in the, the bedevilments, the description of the bedevilments on page 52. Um, and again, it talks about change, but this is a common theme in the big book, um, and it is a common part of the spirituality in the big book. We had to ask ourselves why we shouldn't apply to our human problems the same readiness to change our point of view. It talks about, you know, will we go to the moon someday? And people say, yeah, we'll get there someday. This is in the, in the 30s and the 40s. We were having trouble, and, and they're talking about characteristics of an alcoholic or a compulsive eater. We were having trouble with personal relationships. We couldn't control our emotional natures. We were a prey to misery and depression. We couldn't make a living. We had a feeling of uselessness. We were full of fear. We were unhappy. We couldn't seem to be a real help to other people. It was not a basic solution of these bedevilments more important than whether we should see newsreel of lunar flight. Of course it was. Um, so it's talking about the emotional nature as a symptom of my addiction. You know, not the cause, not the solution, but a symptom of my condition. And so, yeah, I, I ate emotionally. Um, I mean, I, I had emotion. I, I would, you know, feel terrible. I would, I would be anxious. I would be upset. I would be angry. But I also would be, you know, nobody's, you know, I also ate because, you know, nobody's looking. Or, you know, that guy told me, looked, you know, said to me in his mind that I was short. Or I am I, standing up. Or it doesn't count. Or, you know, I haven't had this before. Or it's free. You know, so I, it, it, the, the mental includes the emotional, but it doesn't, it's not limited to the emotion. Um, and so I, I can... Uh, I can't, I can't solve this through emotion. Now, now people, and I used to say I eat, emo, I eat emotionally, um, but that was just part of the story. I mean, there were things, and I'm not diminishing people that have horrible experiences uh, often in their childhood where they, you know, you know were abused or, or, you know, just had, you know, accidents or, or just horrible periods. I'm not diminishing these. I'm not saying that, that it's, you know, your fault, and I'm not even saying that you that they're forgivable. I mean, I've heard stories in, in a way of, of, you know, abuse and behavior uh, from adults to children that are just, you know, in my mind, they are not, uh, they're not forgivable. Um, and, and so, but, but the issue that I have is that um, I can't keep torturing myself. I mean, I, I didn't have responsibility for whatever happened to me as a child, but I now have responsibility to be able to 
not let it impact every aspect of my life. I have I have the responsibility to get it out of my mind. I have the responsibility to not let it torture me and continue to use it as a justification to not only eat but also other bad behavior. And so this is this is you know the essence of the steps for me is that how do I get these thoughts and these memories um, out of my head and work through them, uh, look at my part, uh, make an amends, and be able to move on and not have it and, and not have it there in my head, living in my mind over and over again. Um, and and I have done this. I mean, I have. Um, I, I remember this first. Uh, fifth step that my sponsor uh, told me to do, and she said, you know, write down, you know, you know, there at that time it was just people you're angry at, people, you know, that that you have resentment, people that um, you you need to address in some way, and so, you know, the first one was about my family, about my parents, and I I said, you know, I'm I'm angry at them, and. Um, and she said, well, why? And I would explain it, and she worked me through this, and she, I got it out. I got it in paper. I, you know, I ended up making amends to my parents, and, and I just had the relief that I've just never had before. And so I have to get this out of my mind. Um, I, and, and working the steps um, is really the only thing that has been able to do this. It's the only thing that's been able to replace the, the quietness um, that some and created some space in my mind that I used to turn to for food, and now I turn to the steps in the program and and working the tools every day and you know having my food in its proper perspective. Um, this this is really where I have found my answer in my life, and I'm I'm still, you know, I still have these vestiges of this this addictive mind. You know, I still have um, the same. Uh, ability to trip myself up. I mean, I, I am a really bad procrastinator, and um, and it's it's like a really big deal. And it's like, and I like I haven't I haven't balanced my checkbook for like five years, and it bothers me. And you know, I thought, God, maybe I need to get help for this. And so I I looked on the internet. I I you know did some searching on procrastination procrastination, and you know there's there's an anonymous program for everything. And so I, I go to the website. Um, and and I'm looking around and I'm kind of starting to identify and I um, and I, I send in a registration you know in order to gain access to some of the tools on the site and the referral area and the forums and the meetings so I, I send I send a registration in you know and uh, you know so I can you know be part of this website and and I wait and I wait and it's like you know, time goes on, and it's like a week, and it's like I don't hear back, and I, I'm kind of concerned. So I write, uh, I write another note, just saying, "Hey, I sent my registration in. Is, you know, did you get it? Do I need to send anything else in? Is there any issue?" And so I, I, uh, I get an angry note back saying, "You know, why are you bothering me? You know, why you, you know, I'm busy. I, I'm traveling, and so I got a procrastinator for procrastinators anonymous, and so it's like." Okay, well, this may not be the right answer for me, and and then he denies my registration. I he turns me down, saying, "Well, you're not serious enough, or something." I said, "Okay." So, so I did a, you know, I I did an inventory on it. I wrote down, you know, the procrastination, and you know, I'm kind of working it through my program, you know, just my my own inventory and my, you know, just through the big book way of getting it down, looking at my part, 
you know, and I've I've learned. I kind of st- I, I I kind of understand this. You know, I it, it is, you know, this addiction, and it's and it's also this trap. You know, I I get myself in traps in my thinking where I can't win. No matter what, I can't win. You know, I it really upsets me that I procrastinate and I've got papers around you know, me that I have to go through and little projects all around that I have to go through and I've got my and I want to do my checkbook. But and it bothers me, but it also bothers me if I were to get caught up. It's you know like what do I do then? You know, do I start gambling or what what do I what's the next thing? So I I I kind of am trapped in this I can't win, you know, and I also realize when I get honest that I do get to things. You know, my bills are paid. I get to things, you know, I get to the piles in time. I, I, and, and, you know, I think that normal people get behind and make lists. I get behind and it bothers me. I think, gee, I, I, I'm, I, you know, poorly organized. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm incompetent. You know, no, one should, no, one's like, no, no one else is like this. You know, I, I, I'm able to kind of have an honest look at, you know, what's really going on. And I, I think there is, you know, when it talks about the spirituality in the program, um, and my spirituality has changed here, but I, I, there, there is a, a basic spiritual program in the big book that is non-intuitive, but it, it's geared specifically to the addict. You know, it addresses the mind of an addict. And I, I have resisted it, um, especially in the beginning. But I, I do, I, I, I do try to follow it. And, and this, these, it has these principles that, you know, I'm these principles of spirituality of doing service, of the self, of self-reflection, um, of responsibility. And you know, and and serve, you know, and service again, and service again. You know, so so beyond that, I, I think you could probably believe in anything. You know, I think I think if for me that's the foundation. I can be abstinent and work the the spirituality in the big book. You know, I do service. I go to meetings. I work my inventory. I I have I have to continue to develop this ability to look at my part, this ability to look within for my issues. The less I'm looking outward, uh, the more I'm looking inward, uh, the more spiritual I am in the eyes of the big book. And so this is really what I follow. This is where the foundation is. And I've done other, you know, you know, tried other religions and other kind of, I've been doing yoga for my whole life. And, but, you know, this is really the, really, this, the foundation for me. Um, and I do have to be careful about sex, politics, and religion. I mean, these are really trigger areas where I can really get into, you know, I'm right and you're wrong. So I have to be careful, you know, so I can, I can, you know, get involved in politics as long as I am not engaging my character defects, defects of selfishness, self-seeking, dishonesty, and fear, you know, and I, I, you know, so I don't, again, get into this trap of my ego and my self-centeredness where I'm, you know, doing this to get you or I'm doing this because I'm right and you're wrong. And so, um, and this is kind of the bottom line for me. What are my intentions based on, the you know those character defects in the big book um so i i am um i you know and change and i forgot to mention with the spirituality with change and it talks about this you know um 
all the way through the big book. It talks about from the from the preface to to the stories, you know. And, and I'm looking on page 143 to the employers. If your man accepts your offer or woman, it, it should be pointed out that physical treatment is but a small part of the picture. Though you are providing him with the best possible medical attention, he should understand that he must undergo a change of heart. To get over drinking will require a transformation of thought and attitude. We all had to place recovery above everything, for without recovery would have lost both home and business. Um, And on page, even on page 17 in the preface, uh, Roman numeral 17, after they had succumbed to the desire again, as so many do, and the phenomenon of craving develops, they pass through the well-known stages of a spree, emerging remorseful with a firm resolution not to drink again. This is repeated over and over, and unless this person can experience an entire psychic change, there's very little hope of his or her recovery. So, I mean, this, is, this has been, I, I think, of foundation of my of my program. I think it's the foundation of all our program is you know, is change. Just be willing to look for me it's just, you know, not only what's my part, what what are some other options? Again, I, I get into this um, mentality that there's only one solution. I have only one direction in my life and I can't change it. And Working, you know, and talking to people and working the steps, working the tools, it gives me some light around this this tunnel vision, and it allows me to see options that I just have not seen before. And I, I always kind of say, you know, there's like two degrees of separation. I mean, you ask someone, you know, someone may ask me, you know, I'm having trouble with, you know, teenagers, you know, and I and they say, what what should I do? And I say, you know, I think I'm still kind of a teenager inside, but talk to this person. And, or talk to that person, and that may not be the right person, but they'll know someone. And, you know, you can find someone in this fellowship if you're willing to pick up the phone and you're willing to ask for help. There's someone in this fellowship that has the answer, that, that can you know, not give you advice, but can say, this is what I did. I don't give advice. and I don't give advice. I, I don't tell people what to do. I'm no example. My life is no example. I would not want anyone to go through the circuitous path that I've taken in my life, but I, I'm happy that I have found this in my life. So I, I don't give advice, but I, I, if I have something directly I'll, that I can say that's personal experience, I will convey that. If not, there's people out there that have direct personal experience that can, you know, that cannot give advice but can give you ideas, options that you haven't looked for. And I think this is the power, the spiritual power that, there's this community, this this wealth of information, this wealth of experience, not with just the food, but with everything. The, every problem can be discussed. Every problem can be worked through the steps, and there is a solution. You know, and I can get away from this, these, these mental traps, these mental twists that show up in my life again and again uh, that I still have, that I can still struggle with. You know, and I I still can be challenged, and I because I, I have to remember that, um, as it says in 39 of the big book, self-knowledge avails me nothing. Now, this may be true of certain non-alcoholic people who, through drinking foolishly and heavily, at the present time are able to stop or moderate because their brains and bodies have not been damaged as ours were. But the actual potential alcoholic, with hardly any exception, 
will be absolutely unable to stop drinking on the basis of self-knowledge. This is a point we wish to emphasize and re-emphasize to smash, upon, smash home upon our alcoholic readers as it has been revealed to us out of bitter experiences. This is one of the few areas in the big book that are italics. So it's really important. And I really have to remember that I don't have the answer. This is a we program. You know, the answer is not in my thinking. The, answer, the more I think, the further away I get from a solution. Um, but but I, I actually, you know, I may have had um, a moment where my brain and body was not so badly damaged. I maybe had that window, uh, you know, when I was, I don't know, 12 for an hour that I maybe could have said, gee, this doesn't make sense. Why am I doing this? You know, or, or when I'm 15 and I, I start, you know, I have, I overindulge something. I could have, maybe I could have said, gee, I should not do this. This isn't a good idea. Um, I, I remember going, visiting my family in Omaha, um, probably five, six years ago. Um, I, I went there. Uh, I had gone a couple months earlier for a funeral. My cousin's husband died very young. Uh, he was in his, his mid-40s. He had uh, children, or late 40s, he had children who, three sons who were teenagers. Um, I went back a couple months after the funeral to visit, and the, the youngest son, uh, who was, I believe, 17 at the time, still in high school, taking this death really hard, he gained 100 pounds. I mean, and he's like, my height, he's like 5'7", so he went from 150 to 250. It was like just shocking. And everybody was worried about him. I, I tried to explain the program to him, uh, expl explain OA. He just was not, he just like stared at me. He just had nothing. He just had nothing to respond. He had nothing to to say. And so I mean I tried to you know stay in touch, but I just I left and I just felt really concerned. I mean I got I thought boy this kid's going to have a heart attack or something. But you know anyway a year and a half about a year later. Uh, a little over a year later, I go back, and he's fine. You know, he's he's lost the weight. Um, you know, his mom got him some therapy. He was on a, a diet program, and he was doing great. It was the old Andy again, you know. And so, um, you know, he his mind and body were not so damaged that he could still he could still stop. You know, he could stop. Mine is not. You know, mine is, is beyond that kind of help. And so the only answer for me was giving up, you know, giving up the idea that I can control this. Um, so I continue to do this. You know, I continue to do this every day. I do my food. I, I you know, abstain a day at a time. I deal, you know, I, find, I uncover things. I uncover, you know, my procrastination. I recover, you know, other areas that are not so you know, that I still need to work on. You know, I, I um, have, um, I, I still have issues. I still, you know, I, I have a, a sick sister that I deal with on a daily basis. I am challenged by uh, a lot of things. That the, the struggle is not over. The, you know, the answers are not all there. And so, and I tell people, I say, you know, everything you like about me is because of this program, is because of the 12-step program. You know, things are not quite, you know, great. You know, those are things I still need to work on. But I'm able to, to kind of address things a day at a time. Uh, you know, I, I have built up these little successes, and I know the program.
program and the steps work and things that I thought were impossible. I mean, when I came to the first came to the program, I thought it was absolutely impossible that I could ever be go a day without the foods that I lived for. I thought it was impossible that I could follow a program. I thought it was impossible that I would um, that I would have any success with this. But you know, I went to that retreat. I became willing to do this for one day. I did it for my second day and my third day, and you know, it was hard. You know, it was really, it was difficult. But you know, I had gone then I, but I had gone from impossible to difficult. You know, and so I'm, I'm struggling. I'm doing this in the program. I'm doing it a day at a time. I'm committing my food. I'm being abstinent a day at a time. I, I'm reading the big book like my sponsor told me to do, and I'm, I'm, you know, identifying with what's going on. I'm, I'm doing a fourth step. I'm working through the steps like my sponsor told me to do, and I, I rushed. I was like very motivated to do the steps because I knew that this, you know, she told me this would help me, and so I really did this. I worked through the steps. I did my inventory. I worked through the other issues. I made amends, and you know now, or even then, then pretty soon, probably within a month, it got to be comfortable. You know, I had lost the obsession. You know. I, it was it was not a struggle anymore. It was it was it went from being difficult to being comfortable, and and so the program has gotten comfortable. Life is still challenging, but you know if I if I am honest about it, if I was not doing this program, if I stopped this program, if I stopped doing this, if I stopped talking to my sponsor, if I stopped you know studying and reading and you know. Uh, refining my food and making progress with my, still making progress with my stomach problems. And I can, I continue to make progress. You know, four or five months ago, I went to eating six small meals a day. So I just had never done that before. And it's helped. And I, I keep, you know, unveil, you know, I keep unveiling and opening myself up. If I stopped doing this, it would be uncomfortable, you know? So that's the point where I'm at now. If I, if I would stop doing this, it would be uncomfortable. So, um, again, I continue to need to get out of my head. I need to continue to, to work this program. And I need to, you know, be aware of these peculiar mental twists that, um, that can pop up that are part of, still part of my DNA. You know, I mean, these are, these are habits that I, I still can come up, and I'm still willing to do this, and I'm still willing to learn and to grow and to try new things and work with my sponsor and, you know, be open to, um, to acknowledge that, you know, I could be wrong, you know, and to say I'm sorry and to um, uh, say what, you know, what, what can I do to make things better? What can I, you know, I still need to make amends. I still need to be willing to do something different than I've done before. And, um, and with that, I'm very grateful that I still have that willingness. And I, I just, um, and I really, I, I really think it's because of observing people around me doing it and observing people who are, you know, long-term and doing this and, and can still help me. And, you know, and even the young, you know, even when I, you know, I have young, younger people in the program who are sponsees that, you know, I am so motivated. I, you know, this, this idea of service and getting out of my head and being, you know, listening to someone and listening to someone's food and, you know, whatever they need to talk about, um, you know, this gift that, that I can still hear. I can still hear what's, 
how the mind works and and they can talk about their history and I can relate and it's you know again you know being of service gets me out of my head being of you know and I've gone to I've I've done inter I've been for years involved in the inner group and I've gone to to region I've gone to world service I've just had this privilege of seeing this fellowship at all levels seeing people from all over the world doing this and to be part of it and to you know work on the convention here and to work in the office and to volunteer and and you know people will say gee it's so great of you to do this and I'd say you know it's it's something uh, that's been valuable I would not have the job I have now without the skills that I've learned of being of service I didn't you know, I did it initially to save my life, but I look back and how you know at what I've learned, and um, and so I keep doing this and I keep doing service and I'm still grateful and I'm grateful to be here and to be able to to talk to people and uh, I just want to thank everyone for for doing this with me and with that I'll pass. Thank you very much, Howard, for sharing with us today your experience and your fascinating insight and the story of your transformation certainly a a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. We thank you very much for that message of hope. We now open the lines for any questions anyone might have for Howard. You can do so uh, by pressing star 1 to unmute. If you have any questions you'd like to direct to our speaker today. Howard, this is Steve from Florida. Hi there. Have you ever in your uh, journey uh, had any success? I know you were doing the live foods, but have you ever uh, had any insights about fasting for a day to uncover or to conquer or to uh, show your own obsessive mind with eating to do a fast. I'm just wondering if that has ever served you. Um, I I um I don't I, that that really is not part of my program. Um, I think it would personally I think it would be a little bit of a danger for me um, to get that hungry. Um, I know people do this for religious purposes, and and I've had sponsees that have done this for, you know, religious practices, and we have worked out um, the, the you know this requirement for them within their within their lives. Yeah. I I don't yeah I don't know what what it would provide me. I just don't. Um, I mean, I, I'm someone who, who you know, would skip meals all the time. Um, you do I'm someone that. You do skip meals. I have been. In part of my, my, uh, eating behavior is that I would, I would go through this feast and fast. I would, I would binge and then I would not eat, for extended periods of time, of time. You know, half a day. You know, more than you know, more than you know, eight hours, sometimes ten hours or, or more between meals. So I, I guess I I certainly have experiences in my eating days where I would 
uh, I would fast, I guess you'd call it, for you know extended periods of time. I actually have done um, days of fasting, you know, fasting on juice and that kind of thing. Um, uh-huh. And I I can't say that it 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 really did anything. It, you know, it certainly did not um, give me any insight or give me any direction. I mean, I've meditated while I was eating. I've done yoga while I was eating. I taught yoga while I was in my disease. Um, I thought I was spiritual in my yeah, disease. Yeah, me too. You know, me too. I've been through the same thing. Yeah. You know, I I don't. But but I look back and I was I. It, it really wasn't the answer for me. I've done a lot of therapy in my life. I started going to therapy at 11 years old. You know, it was like, you know, the family's kind of quirky and odd. We're going to send Howard to therapy. That'll that'll fix it, you know. So I've had therapy for years and years, and, um, and I, I, it, you know, I, maybe it's helped. I, I, you know, I guess I've had some insight, but did it – did it address my addictive mind? You know, did it address the, that powerful thinking in my mind, dealing with a powerful craving? And it, it did not. This was not the answer for me. Right. Yeah, last night, I, due to circumstances, it was late. I hadn't, wasn't able to eat dinner. So on my way home driving, I just was feeling that hunger. Craving though it wasn't just the hunger of the body; it was that craving. I know because I didn't eat, and I went. I gave it to God for the first time. Mm-hmm. I said, "I'm giving you this most treasured God in my life, which is food. God, I'm giving it to you." And I woke up. Thank you, Steve, for the question. Um, again, remind. I think it's a good reminder for all of us that. Uh, you know, the allergy of the body is is a bad problem, but <laughs> as the big book reinforces in many places throughout the text, that the greater aspect of the disease resides in our minds. Any other questions this morning? Press star 1 to mute if you have a question regarding the program of recovery, anything that uh, Howard shared regarding those peculiar mental twists, star 1 to unmute. This is Susan. Susan, good morning. Go ahead. Good morning, Leah and Howard, and thank you both so much. Um, Howard, first I just wanted to say that your very personal illustrations of how our mind can distort, it it was just really concrete and uh, descriptive and powerful. Thank you. Um, So let's say we get the two-fold nature of the disease, and, and it was also really helpful when when you explained about the emotional piece because I've been brainwashed about the threefold nature for a long time, and I and I've been hearing the twofold and uh, for, for quite some time now, and and that just really helped me get it in a different way. So thanks for that too. But so let's say we get the power of this peculiar mental twist and this mental obsession, and let's say we, or in my case, I. Um, have now uh, been been abstinent. Today is 11 weeks. Um, and I'm early in the step process, so I have not yet um, gotten to step 10 with only on a seldom basis being interested in food. Um, what are, I mean, obviously the short answer to any question is do the steps, but let's say we're doing that. 
uh, and we have this awareness. Do you have anything you could say to speak to those times when that mental twist is coming up? Um, sometimes I don't have the thought to turn to my higher power, but I just have the memories of all the things that that my beloved fellows have been saying uh, on these meetings, and, and that voice can kind of drown out for the moment the other voice, but I, I'm not confident that, that that other voice might not win one day, because I have this thing, like, like, the, like, like our friend Jim and, uh, and others in the big book. So that's my question. Thanks so much. Well, I think if I understand, Susan, I, the, the voice in the head, I mean, the Bibbic says clearly resemblance are the number one offender. And so when I, when I did that first inventory, it was like the big things. It was like the people in my life that I was resentment, resentful toward. And, and, I take, um, and I, what I've been taught in doing my inventory is that the resemblance are not just people I'm angry at. So, I mean, that first one was people that I was angry at, and I, I put my parents down, and I realized that the real problem was within me. Um, but, but the resentment, if you look it up in the dictionary, it's, it's we re-feel, you know, we replay things in my mind, in our minds, or in my mind. Um, and so, and, and in the big book, it talks about people, principles, and institutions. And the principles, that principle part is what can really trip me up. That is the more subtle mental messages in, in my head. And we now call them negative self-taught. But in the big book, I, I, I believe they're, they're being referred to as principles of resentment. So things in my mind, and, and this is what, I, you know, when I deal with a lot of people, that are in the, have been in the program a long time and are struggling. And so I, I am always working through the steps with them, and I have them focus on the principles. For my principles um, that I first got down when I kind of understood this is that, you know, things that are in my mind. You know, I, I hate the way I look. I should be doing better. I never know what to say. I've made a lot of mistakes. I hate my, you know, I, I hate my boss. Um, I could do his job, you know, do his, I could, I could be running this place, kind of thing. This, this repeating, pat, you know, this, this angry, negative ideas in my mind, you know, uh, that that I constantly live with. You know, people that have lost a lot of weight, they fight these old, these ideas or these these sayings in their head about, you know, I'm vulnerable, I can't handle being a normal weight, you know, and they can put these things down um, on their inventory. And this really, I think, helps with this mental twist. This is, I think, a real, a real key for, for people that do have abstinence, and they've done the, the big ones, they've done those big resentments, but then to also start going in, you know, putting down these, these ideas, and you don't have to dig real hard. They're right there. They're like the, the dictionary says. They're, they're in my mind, and I'm reliving them. I keep telling myself I'm never going to amount to anything. I'm never going to, you know, do well. I'm going to struggle for the rest of my life. I'm going to, you know, die alone with no teeth and that kind of thing. Um, and so I, I don't know why I, I, that's a weird kind of one, but that's in my head. And so for me, if I can 
look at everything and the institutions, you know, religion, organized religion, uh, the tax system, politics, you know, to get those down and to work through those and, and you know, and get get this these ideas of better than, worse than. You know, I talked about, you know, relationships. I'm better than, I'm worse than, I have power, I don't have power. You know, to have balance in these areas are, are is, is really, I think, important uh, an important step into not only just getting abstinent, but staying abstinent, doing these regular inventories when you can, as you uncover and realize, you know, this chatter in your head, these things that you're always telling yourself, you're always, you know, putting yourself down, you're always putting other people down, these old ideas, these old prejudices, you can get them down in the inventory as a principle of resentment and work through the steps on them. Thank you so much. You managed to find the um, the deeper question that was under the surface question I asked, and you answered it. Thank you very much. Thank you, Susan, for the question. Anyone else this morning? Star one to unmute if you. This is Ann. This is Ann. Uh, can you hear me, Howard? I can. Was it Ann? Yes. Yes. Thank okay. you very much for your service and your lead. And. Um, I was uh, listening as I was walking my dog, and I hope that I, if you've answered this already, I do have political opinions, and I agree that you can't make people wrong, or if I try to make them wrong, I certainly try to write about my part in it. But does that mean we're never in the debating society? I'm not talking about verbally, but in our own mind, that we lose all, let's say, inclination to think a certain way. I mean, I, I'm confused about not joining the debating society because I have right. opinions. Right. I'd like it to yeah. be a better world, you know. Yeah, well, I, I think, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's um, wrong to have opinions. And I, I think, you know, but I have to kind of balance them and, 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 you know, where, you know, am I, is this engaging my character defects? You know, is this, is this impacting my program? You know, am I, is this so personal that I can't, I can't stand the, you know, being in, you know, I, my program can't handle being involved. You know, is it, is it bringing up, you know, my selfishness, my self-seeking, my, my ego, my self-seeking, my, uh, my, you know, the dishonest, you know, any dishonesty or, or fear. I mean, is this keeping me in constant fear? You know, and so I, if it is, I mean, if it's impacting my program, if I'm, if I'm eating over it, then I have to look at what my motivations are. And I may have to ask myself, is this really what I want, you know, what I want to be doing. Uh, I, I think a real, um, a real gauge for me is that if I, if I feel motivated or, or strongly about an issue, am I just thinking about it? Am I just, you know, talking, 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 or, or I'm really trying to do something? You know, am I really trying to affect change in one way or the another? You know, I, and that's just personally a, a kind of a, an observation. But um, it just it just takes some self reflection and see you know how personal is this 
you know, and what what's this what's the impact on my serenity and my program and my food and my uh, ability to to get along with people and you know, am I judging people along these these you know certain ideas and not seeing to the not really looking into their humanity, their realness, you know, or who they really are. Uh, thank you, Howard. Yes, uh, unfortunately, I mean, I, I try. I mean, I don't want to look at my part only and think I'm always wrong, and I, I don't want it to affect my serenity. I like a lot of people who don't think the way I do. I mean, a, a lot of them. But if you try to do something in a positive way at least the people you're doing it with have to make or seem to make other people wrong. And um, it's hard to do that and keep my serenity. And thanks for your share. Okay. Uh, Thank hello. You. Thank you for the hello. question, Ann. Yes. Hi, yes. Howard. This is Marilyn. Marilyn, go Hi. ahead. And then hold on one second, Marilyn, please. And who else had a question for Howard? Ursula. Crystal. Okay, so Marilyn and then Crystal, please. Go ahead. Yeah, just a quick thing on the diet soda. Um, I've never drunk coffee or tea in my life, and so uh, I have a feeling I, uh, I've i got to weigh and measure uh, the diet soda, and uh, I, I think I may have a problem with that. Okay. Well, I think it's good to acknowledge it. You know, I mean, I, I just... Um, I, I have I just have found it to be too intensely sweet, um, and, I, and it also uh, affects my stomach. You know, so it really wasn't a good thing for me, um, and 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 I struggled with it for a while, um, and you know I got to a point where I I was able to just kind of give it up, and um, and I think just. You know, talking to, you know, a sponsor to other people in the program is is a real help. Um, and and just going back to the base, you know, the beginning. You know, I, you know, the first time I got abstinent, I did it with the help of a sponsor. I committed, you know, that I the food that I was going to eat. Um, you can commit the food that you're not going to eat, uh, or the, the the drink you're not going to eat, and you know, if you're just willing to, you know, be open and talk about it and, you know, turn it over to a higher power. And when, I, you know, my higher power has to work in real time. I have to be able to say, you know, however I call, I, you know, I think in the beginning I said God, now I just say, you know, when I wanted to eat and I was newly absent, I would just say, take this from me, take this craving from me. When I'm, you know, having old memories that are disturbing. I just say higher power or God or, or I just say take this from me. So I have to have a higher power and that I that I can call on in real time, right in the moment when I need help. And sometimes that's also reflected in making a call or, you know, turning to a tool, um, doing some reading, um, doing some writing, um, working the steps, um, going to a meeting, doing some service. I mean, I was taught in the beginning 
that you use the tools in place of eating. And so I, that definitely helped me to get through those tough times and those challenges when I really wanted sugar and I didn't, I, I didn't think I could not do it. I just would say, higher power, take this from me. I would make a call. I, I'm, I'm better at the phone now than I was there. But I need to have something in real time with me that I can turn to in those moments that I can that will help me and I think that's you know what I really you know why a higher power a power outside ourselves is so important whether it's a, a, a deity for some whether it's the power of the group whether it's something in between um, it, it, it I need to be able to turn to that that power when I need help right at that moment Thank you. Thank you, Marilyn, for the question. And now, Crystal, please. Um, hi. Actually, it's um, it's Ursula. And, oh, I'm um, sorry. That's okay. That's okay. The uh, phone is sometimes hard to hear. Um, thank you for your service. And I'm getting in late, but there was something that was asked earlier that I needed to ask about or bring up. Um, I, too, have had some conflict um, for myself and, and in my program, I was I had started at a telephone group, um, that a meeting that was very very important to me and it really did um, save me. But I just asked a basic question one day and I found that I was treated I, I thought in in not a very um, in not a very good way by someone who I was very surprised at and the attitude I got was. Um, you know, don't waste our time. It's not important. You know, we don't, I don't know. I just didn't feel comfortable with it. So I, I talked to my sponsor about it and I let it go. And I didn't say anything about it because I thought that I was new and I would just be quiet. And it was, it was important for me to stay in that meeting because it was helping me. And um, then it happened again, but it happened again with another newcomer. And the exact same person, the exact same treatment of how I got treated, and it really bothered me because I thought that the person she she's you know she's very strong in her program, but I think um, she was playing a god role within the group. And I don't and I thought that maybe I would bring it up to other members, and I did try to reach out. But then I thought to myself, I had gone to some face-to-face meetings, and and I really what I was hearing is that. If it's going to hurt your serenity or your sobriety, then it's time to go. And that's what I decided to do. I left. And I had some regrets about that because, you know, I prayed about it, and and that was the best thing for me to do at that time because I wasn't strong enough to say anything. But now I'm stronger. And um, I am going to say something. I'm just not sure how to do it because, like the person before asked the question, I don't want to do it and I don't want to, I don't want to make, um, I don't want to bring conflict. I just want to get an answer. I want to get it resolved. I think that if people in the group, especially people who have started the group, start to take a God position, then I think the group is, um, that person isn't being effective anymore. And, um, you know, I just don't know how to go about it. I want to do it the right way. I just don't, I don't know how to do that because I've never had to do it before, but I feel it's something that I have to do. Because I, I, it happened to me, and I didn't do anything, and then it happened to someone else, and I didn't speak up. 
Um, but at the time, I just don't think that I was strong enough, and I was getting a message from my higher power and my sponsor that, you know, it's just best to leave for right now because you can't, you can't do it. You can't handle it, and that's what I did. Um, but, I'm, you know, it's just it's – and I went to the meeting again a couple of days ago, and, and I heard that person, and I just – I couldn't even deal with listening to her. I just, you know, I just left the meeting. And, you know, and I think if if I'm going to let a person have power over me, I have to do something. So I I really would appreciate some input. Um, If you can give me any kind of guidance, it would be great. Yeah, well, there's there's no easy answers, um, Ursula. I I think, you know, we we keep hearing this principle over personalities. And, you know, I have to kind of weigh... um, like like I would in in any situation that I would work through the steps, you know what you know is there any dishonesty involved? Is there you know what's my part? You know is this is this going to you know help or hurt? Um, and and part of that dishonesty could be that I'm not I'm not speaking up when I need to speak up. You know and I think this is this is you know I'm not saying the truth when the truth needs to be told. And there is certainly um, something where there is a risk, there may be a risk, and I may need to, you know, accept that risk, and you know, it may not go well, and I, I have to balance that. And you know, there's not an easy answer. As I said during my talk, I really don't give advice. I mean, I certainly have had situations where I have mentioned something in a group um, that was bothering me. I mean, I remember going to a group in California to just visit, and it, they said it was women's only, a women's only OA group, but I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm a compulsive overeater, and I, you know, as long as you're listed in the, in the, the 12-step group, the 12-step register, I, I believe that I have a right to be here, and so I did say something, and other times I've, I've kind of felt that, you know, I wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't necessary to say anything, because sometimes these things can work out. Um, but, you know, you have to kind of weigh that, and there isn't an easy answer. Um, again, talking with your sponsor, reflecting on your motivation, and, you know, remembering that, you know, we're all struggling, we're all compulsive overeaters, and we're all learning and growing, and so uh, to remember the principles of the program that, you know, everyone can express an opinion, um, everyone can you know, people have, you know, can have opposing positions and opposing opinions and, you know, weigh that with, you know, with your own, um, with your own perspective and, and program. Okay, that helps. And, and thank you. I didn't mean to ask you, you know, for the advice. I forgot about that for a minute. Thank you for your Oh, sure. Thanks for asking. Thank you, Ursula, for the question. Anyone else this morning with any questions for Howard regarding the program of recovery? Hi, this is Yvonne. Yes, good morning, Yvonne. Go ahead. Um, uh, Howard, thank you for sharing, for your very personal and open sharing. Um, Thanks for listening. um, It's on the resentment list, and I want to ask if you think that I have to, or that we have, or I have, or one has to, um, when I write my resentment list, it was a very nice, uh, complete way to explain this, um, if I have to always 
share this with somebody or is it enough to give it, turn it over to God, write my list and turn it over to God in my 10th step? Um, and if I have to share it, is it in, also okay to share it by email? Because if I share it, I do it with somebody with a lot of hours of difference. Um, like I'm living, I live in Germany and he lives in the UN, United States. So, um, I would have to do it by email if I want to share it, my resentment list every day. But I would be willing to do it if I hear that it has to be like that. So that's my question. Thank you. Okay. I, I find the real, one of the real values in, in doing the inventory and doing the fifth step is to share with someone who is experienced in listening to inventories or, you know, more experienced or experienced in the program. And I always have found their feedback and observations to be really valuable. And, you know, I think, you know, personally, I think email has some limitations uh, in this kind of interaction. Um, if because of the time zone changes, this is the only option, it certainly is better uh, than, than uh not having anyone's feedback. So I would say I, I think email is better than not sharing them. Um, I think, you know, just sharing them with another person is part of the, the kind of the freeing process of doing this, doing the step work, and doing this together with someone is, I think, really powerful. Um, I, I find it valid, even over the phone, I find it, you know, valuable to, to work through things and to get feedback and to... Um, uh, hear another person's perspective, um, and um, and I I'm also I I have to, and I give really direct feedback. I mean, when I'm listening, I I get direct feedback, and I because I have valued when people have been direct with me and um, and have said, you know, I I think you could have done better, you know, or I think you could maybe look at it in this way, or you know, they really didn't do anything wrong. You're mad at them because they said no, and they have every right to say no. And I just never, you know, I didn't think people had a right to say no, but, but I, I guess they do. So I, I have found that the feedback um, in the exchange is, is very valuable. I, I, I think email is certainly better than just than not having anybody involved and just, like you say, do it with a higher power or with God. I, I think having another person engaged and uh, and listening and who hears you and can, you know, see your humanity in doing this and you can hear their humanity in doing this. I think it's really valuable. Thank you, Yvonne, for the question. Anyone else this morning, questions related to the program of recovery? This is Patricia, may I ask? Yes, Patricia, go ahead. Hi. Um I, the peculiar mental twist. Now, is that when, see, I thought that that was just about the food. But um, now, is that when we're telling ourselves the negative stories or telling ourselves stuff? Because I remember doing this way back in Graham school. And um, so this is just all, it's all the way our mind works. Is this right, the, the negative talk that we tell ourselves? It's not just 
the food. I don't know well, if I'm right. Yeah, I don't know if you get understanding the question. Well, let me let me kind of try, and then you can let me know if, I've, if I'm addressing this. I uh, I think how I how I kind of handle my my talk is that I mean I love the example with Jim in the Big Book about I'll put an ounce of whiskey in my in my milk and it will be okay. I'll, you know, and, and certainly I can think of countless examples. I'll have a little bit. You know, I, I haven't had this before. Um, I'll throw it. I'll have a little bit and I'll throw it away. Um, you know, that that kind of that kind of twist of thinking that that's this 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 insane. Uh, I, I can just call it insane. Uh, justification that I go to when I really know that I can't, I, I can't, I know what's going to happen. I really know what's going to happen, but I can't, you know, I, I can't think of the exact quote, but I, I can't, I can't bring the memory of the last debacle with enough force into my thinking for me to say, this is really not a good idea. You know, so I think there's this, that mental twist, or, or I even can tell myself now, you know, it's, a, it's after work, I'm going to lie down for a half an hour, and then I'll go about my, my evening where I, I kind of know that I'm going to sleep for longer than I want to. You know, so I can, I can kind of still feel sometimes that, that twist of thinking where I, I'm justifying something, and I know that I shouldn't be doing this. But I think I also try to address the kind of the mental component, this, this mental obsession, this mental drive that is part of my disease that allows me to justify. I keep justifying it. You know, I, I need this. You know, I, and, you know, and sometimes it's out of nothing. You know, I, I could be standing in line at the movie theater waiting to buy a ticket one week uh, and, and be delayed in, in buying it one week, and it's no big deal. The next week it's a tragedy, and it's all in my interpretation. You know, when I said my mind controls my emotions, it's how I interpret any situation, and I can, I can do this um, in a way that is really, it disturbs me, where I can twist events so that I can resent them, and then I can justify eating. You know, I mean, this, this is a different perspective. You know, this is kind of something that, that I can look at and say that this really, I, I really identify, you know, this has really happened to me, and this is something that I would do is like I would, I would, you know, upset, get upset like I did with that person walking down the street, and I would then be eating. I would then justify be eating because I'd be so disturbed that I, I, the only thing I know how to do is when I'm disturbed is to eat. Um, so, so for me, it's kind of like this mental, um, this kind of mental process that I engage in that I can justify bad behavior. And this is this is part of my story. I mean, this I can look back and see this. Now, you know, people say, you know, I eat emotionally, and that that may be, you know, that may be what their story is about. Um, the only thing that I have to be careful of is that I I can't keep falling back to this. I can't get abstinent, and then keep looking for excuses because if it's just an emotional disease. Um, I would have never needed OA because I was in therapy all these years, but it it really didn't help with my addiction. And I have to I have to be able like my when my sponsor asked me 
how are you doing? And I explain what's going on, and she says, well, how is the food? And I say, the food is okay, because I, I have to stop blaming. I have to stop looking for an excuse anymore and just say, you know, a day at a time, I have to abstain no matter what. And, and does that, Yvonne, does that kind of answer your question kind of thing? Howard, thank you. Patricia, okay. we're inquiring as to if that oh, sorry, re- sorry, answered your question. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Again, uh, I might suggest or, you know, rereading, particularly Howard spoke about Jim's story. I think page 37, you know, really goes over it very well indeed about, uh, you know, that it's justification. We go out deliberately to take that first bite, you know, feeling justified by nervousness, anger, worry, depression, jealousy, et cetera, as Howard was explaining. So thank you, Patricia, for the question. Any other questions this morning for Howard, our speaker? Anything related to the program of recovery? Anything related to the solution that's described in the big book? Are one to unmute. Going once, twice, and three times. I'll take that, that all minds are cleared, Howard. I want to thank you again for your time and your energy here this morning in sharing your experience and sharing about that transformation, your personality change uh, that has occurred due to the program of recovery and the implementation of these steps. And I'm going to close the meeting as we always do on page 164. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.